Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Romans 12, verses 1 through, 1 through 8. says this, Romans 12, 1 through 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for by grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If if exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let us pray. Uh, Father, uh, help us this morning, God. Um, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm glad that we get to be together this morning, that we get to worship you again, Lord. And so I I don't take that for granted. Um, But Lord, my, my prayer this morning is that you would eradicate, that you would destroy this spirit of apathy. Um, Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would kill this spirit of lukewarm Christianity uh, of God I I just we repent this morning of not caring we repent this morning of being apathetic we repent this morning of being too busy for God we we repent this morning of all of our complaining we we repent this morning of, of focusing our attention everywhere else except on you and so father I pray this morning as the pastor of this church that you would just do something different God, that you would renew us and revive us this morning, God. I pray that there would be 5, 10, 20 people that, that actually would pursue God, that they would make a commitment, commit their hearts and their minds in living for Jesus. Lord, I, I pray, Father, that, that, if, that if you're not here, God, we, we don't want to be here. And so, God, I just invite you in this morning. God, knock our socks off. Do something new in our hearts and our minds, God. Don't let us go through the motions as usual, God. Lord, I pray that you would burn a fire in our hearts and our souls, God, that we would have a passion for you, Lord. And so, Father, I just, I pray this morning, God, I pray, Father, that things would change and that things would be different, Father. Father, I pray that a change in the season doesn't change our posture towards you this morning, God. So, so Lord, touch our hearts. 
Touch our hearts this morning, God. Allow us to wake up out of our slumber, God. Lord, Lord, hit the alarm clock of our spirits, God, and wake us up. Jolt us out of our sleep and out of our slumber, God. Slumber, Lord. Lord. And so I pray that you would just do a new thing among us today. Holy Spirit, I call on you today to, to move on our behalf. I call on you today to wake your people up. I, I call on you today to renew our minds and to change us, God. I pray that you would be our passion today. And so, Father... This is my prayer today, God. I, I pray desperately for you this morning. God, I pray desperately for you this morning, Father. I, I pray, God, that you would bring your spirit this morning, God, that we would, that somewhere at some point in this message, we, we would be radically transformed, that our posture would change. And so, Father, forgive us for our, our sins, for not caring, for, for going through the motions, Father. That, that's not biblical Christianity, Father. But you've called us to be passionate, to pursue you, Father, with all of us, Lord. And so, Father, I just, I pray, plead for your grace and for your mercy this morning on behalf of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God said amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. My sermon title this morning is God Knows What We Need. God Knows What We Need. The book of Romans is what many scholars would call the Apostle Paul's magnum opus. This is his this is the capstone of Pauline theology. Some consider this Romans, this book of Romans, to be the greatest book of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, if you didn't, do not know, he writes a large portion of what we have as the New Testament. And so when we look at the book of Romans, the book of Romans is, this is it for him. This is what many consider to be his best work. And, and so if the Apostle Paul was, was a musician, if, if, if he was Jay-Z, this would be his blueprint. If he was Biggie Smalls, this would be his life after death. If the Apostle Paul was Tupac, this would be all eyes on me. If he was Mike Jackson, this would be, this is his thriller. If he was Prince, this would be his purple rain. If you're into some other kind of music, if this was Journey, if you're into rock music, soft rock, if you were Journey, this would be, this would be Escape. If you, were, if you were a fan of the Beatles, this would be the White Album. If you were a fan of, of, of if you're a fan of the Eagles, one of the greatest selling uh, uh, bands of all time, this would be Hotel California. And, and so this is a serious letter. This is Paul's mic drop book. This is his mic drop theology. But the interesting thing is for the first 11 chapters, chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Romans, Paul gives us a picture of the human condition apart from God. He gives us a clear picture of the human condition apart from the grace of God. And here's what he the conclusion that he comes to. Because of our sin and our refusal to worship God for who he is, we are objects of the wrath of God. We, we are, the Bible says that we were all guilty before God and objects of his wrath. Now, when you hear that, it probably doesn't move the emotional, need, emotional needle for you. It probably means nothing for you. But, but here's why it probably doesn't mean that much to you, because we have a very lightweight view of our sin. We have a very small, casual view of our sin. But, but I want to change that for you today. Your, your sin is not just a little mistake you made. Your sin is not just a little misstep that happened. Your sin is not just a little issue that you struggle with. Your sin is not just a struggle. Your sin is not just a slip up. Your sin is an affront and an offense to a holy, 
righteous and just God. And if God is just, like we like justice in this country, if God is to be just, then what does a holy God do besides punish sin and unrighteousness in his presence? And so we think about our sin. Our sin is not just, oh, I just made a little mistake today. Oops, here I go again. Oops, I did it again. I forgot Brittany in my intro. Sorry. So, so if you think that way of your sin, of course the wrath of God means nothing to you. But let me tell you this, it is not some neutral thing to God where God just is like, oh, your sin is nothing to me. Oh, it's light. No, God says that you were ob- we were objects of his wrath and the whole world was guilty before God. And so we have to actually come to grips with this. Here's what it says in Romans 2, verse 5, and I think this kind of, encapsulates everything that I'm trying to say. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. So apart from Christ intervening into our lives, the wrath of God was breathing down our necks waiting for the day of judgment when God would pour his wrath out on all of us. This is our condition. That, That doesn't sound like something to be happy about. That doesn't sound like a reason for us to take our sin lightly because sin is punishable by death. For the wages of sin is death. So we can't take our sin lightly, but something interesting happens. But after we move on our way to chapter 11, we get these little glimpses of, of good news and these glimpses, these glimpses of hope in spite of all the evil and all the darkness and all the wickedness of our hearts and humanity. We see these little glimmers of good news and hope. And so here's what happens. Somewhere around chapter 9 in Romans, the mercy of God comes rushing in. The the mercy of God comes rushing in, and what it tells us that instead of giving us what we do deserve, which which is wrath, God in his mercy sends his son Jesus to assuage all of the wrath, take it on in our place so that you and I go free. This is what it says happened. And so the wrath of God was breathing down our necks, and then the sun came and stood in our place, absorbing and taking on the punishment and the penalty that our sins occurred, incurred. This is the mercy of God. And so why would God do that? For no good reason except that God loved us. God came in, stepped in, in the nick of time when his wrath was breathing down our neck. The sun was sent into the world, and the sun took on our punishment. And God had mercy on us. God had mercy on us. Romans 9 says, God God says this. When when Paul is writing about Moses, he says, I will show mercy to who I want to show mercy, and I will have compassion on who I want to have compassion. It is not because of human effort or because of human will. It's just because mercy is what I do. That, That God gave us his mercy not due to any goodness of our own. We don't deserve the mercy of God. We didn't deserve this sort of good news. We didn't deserve for this to happen to us. And that, let me tell you this today. Because of God's mercy in our lives, we get to go free, but it has nothing to do with you and I. It has nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. And so today, before I move forward, oftentimes when somebody preaches Romans 12, 
We, we know the popular passages about uh, do not be conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We know the part about offer your bodies as living sacrifices, but I want to deal with the very first part where Paul talks about the mercy of God. Because oftentimes we think about mercy, we couple it together with grace, and we say in the phrase, thank God for his, good, for his grace and for his mercy. We act like they both mean the same thing. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. His mercy is his, is his withholding from us what we actually do deserve. Let me say that to you again. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, which is eternal life, forgiveness, Holy Spirit, all of those things, right? But mercy is God withholding from us what we actually do deserve, which is death, judgment, and hell. And so we say, oh, thank God for his grace and his mercy. We're not saying the same thing. What we're saying is that thank God that he has given me that which I don't deserve, but withheld from me that which I actually do deserve. So here's what the Bible says about the mercy of God. Psalms 103, 8 through 10, here's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says this, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal with us as we deserve. That's good stuff. Then Moses, God speaks in Exodus, and here's what God says about himself in, in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord. And here's what the Lord says about himself. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And so this is how God describes his own self. When God describes himself, he describes himself as merciful. God's own self-description is merciful. You would describe yourself as happy, as joyful, as mean, short-tempered, whatever. But God says when it comes to me, I'm merciful. I'm merciful. It's not just what I do, it's who I am. Oh my goodness. God is a merciful God. You know what Lamentation says? Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, Because of the Lord's faithfulness, faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. His mercies never end. And then I love this other part. It says that his mercies, they are new every morning. Oh, my God. His mercies are new every morning. Every time you wake up in the morning and open your eyes, no matter what kind of night you had, his mercies are new right in that moment. Matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. His mercies are not just new every morning. His mercies are new every second of the day. Every second of the day, God's mercies is right there for us. No matter what we've done, God right there is holding back from us what we actually don't deserve, what we actually do deserve, and giving us what we don't deserve. Thank God for his mercy. In 2 Corinthians, Paul oftentimes refers to God as the Father of mercies, of the Father of mercies. When we get to Ephesians 2, here's what Paul says, that God is rich in mercy. The only thing that God is rich in, or described as rich in the entire of the Bible, is mercy. It doesn't say God is rich in money. It doesn't say God is rich in love. It doesn't say God is rich in patience. It says that God is rich and mercy. God is rich in money. God, God is rich in forgiveness. God is rich in patience. But when it comes to describing what God is in the Bible, it just says that he's rich in mercy. 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. This is good news for us. I love the way that Dane Ortland writes it in Gentle and Lowly. You should not go to heaven before. Go to heaven if you have not read Gentle and Lowly. Read Gentle and Lowly before you go to heaven. You need to read the book. It's pastor's favorite book. So read it. Here's what Dane Ortland says. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are hotels to which, no, not hotels which through divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things that make about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. Sit with that. Your, your, your place of your deepest shame, pain, and regret doesn't draw God's judgment. It draws his mercy. The worst thing you've ever done, thing that no one knows about, thing that people do know about, but people would shun you if they knew, God comes in and says, let me hug you. That's what his mercy does. And because of his love for us in Christ, we went from objects of his wrath to objects of his love. We went from objects of wrath to objects of love. If I went outside today and put up social media after church and Ja Rule and 50 Cent was hugging, it wouldn't make sense to me. It just wouldn't make any sense to me if Ja Rule and 50 Cent was right there hugging each other. Because we know that they hate each other. And if, if you wouldn't expect them to be together, you shouldn't expect us and God to be together. But somehow... In God's love and in God's sovereignty and God's grace and God's mercy, we who were once objects of wrath have become the objects of his love. This should be blowing your mind. This should be blowing your brain. Clean out your skull right now that God would love us this way. We went from wrath to right relationship with God. We went from wrath to right relationship. Aren't you glad for the mercies of God this morning? Aren't you glad his, his mercy came to you this morning? Aren't you glad that God didn't give us what we actually deserve? Aren't you glad that his mercy never runs out or never runs dry? Aren't you glad that his mercies are new every morning when you open your eyes? Aren't you glad the mercies of God isn't just for big stuff but it's also for a little stuff aren't you glad his mercies aren't just for your private stuff but it's also for your public stuff God's mercies God's mercies and then right at the end of chapter 11 before we get to chapter 12 the last four verses of chapter 11 you know what Paul does he breaks out in a hymn of praise to God because what else can you do when God has withheld from you the thing that you actually do deserve Paul sings a hymn of praise at the end of Romans chapter 11 because praise is what you should do in response to the God who saved you and then we get to Romans 12, and he says, now it's time to work out all this gratitude for the mercy of God in the way that we live. So 1 through 11 describes our condition before God. Mercy breaks in. 
the end of 11 ends in praise to God because that is the right response. Now it's time to respond with our lives. Now it's time to respond with our lives. How do you respond to the mercy of God that has given us the son who has stood in our place and gave his life as a sacrifice for us? There is only one right response to the mercy of God, and that is that we surrender our lives. That we surrender our lives to him. What God has given us makes way for what we are to give to God. Let me say that again. What God has given us makes way. It blazes a trail. It opens a path for what we are to give to God. You don't just say thank you, God, for your mercy and then go out and do your thug thizzle. The only right, appropriate response to the mercy of God is to now become a living sacrifice. Because what happens is the mercies of God, those of us who have been afforded the mercy of God, his mercy stakes a claim on our lives. Yeah, we get to go free, but it ain't freedom to do what you want. It's freedom to do and be who he's called us to be. God takes us out of bondage to sin, takes us out of the bondage and slavery to sin, and puts us in bondage and slavery to himself. And so now we don't serve sin, we serve God. So here's what it says in verses 1 through 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view, look, look, now it makes sense. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of everything that I just said from chapters 1 through 11, in view of the wrath of God breathing down your neck, the mercy of God intervening, you praising God, in view of the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, when he says living sacrifice, they're, bo they're borrowing, Paul's borrowing language from the sacrificial system. You may or may not know this, that back in those days when people wanted to make an offering to God or, or, or whatever the case was, people would sacrifice an animal. They would, they would bring a live animal, probably give it to the priest. The priest would chop up the animal little pieces and put the animal on the offering. So they would offer up, make offerings unto God, but they would use an animal as a sacrifice. They would bring a living animal, kill the animal as a sacrifice to God. Well, guess what? They had to keep killing animals over and over and over and over and over again. It was just never enough, but it should have uh, alerted their minds or, or, or been an alert to them that, hey, this ain't working, that there's a greater sacrifice that is coming. There's a greater sacrifice that is coming who will be the one once and for all sacrifice of sacrifices. He will make sure that he fulfills what all other sacrifices could not fulfill. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus comes as a sacrifice and he dies for us so that we can go free. And so they, they, they never completely satisfied what they were trying to satisfy. And Christ comes in and fulfills everything. But Paul is saying, okay, we no longer have to do a book. A, a, a bull or a goat, now we get to offer our lives as a sacrifice. But instead of dead sacrifices, we become living sacrifices. We're living sacrifices. We, we present, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice. And when he says your body, he means all of you, body, soul, and mind. 
He means bring your whole self to God, the totality of who you are withholding absolutely nothing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He means everything. My thoughts, my feelings, my aspirations, my hopes, my dreams, my words, my deeds, my attitude, all of this stuff. He says, bring it all to me. Bring it all to me. But here's what happened with us. We want to make partial sacrifices. And so there's some stuff that we'll put on the altar and some stuff we won't. And so, so we don't bring our whole selves, we just bring what we're comfortable bringing. I want to read this quote to you by this new theologian. He says this, God does not want us to itemize parts of our lives to hand over to him in accordance with what we are comfortable sacrificing. Let me say what this wonderful scholar said once again. God does not want us to itemize parts of our lives to hand over to him in accordance with what we are comfortable sacrificing. God doesn't want just what you're comfortable with giving him. God says, bring the whole thing. He says, this is your true worship. On your Bible, it may say your reasonable worship. You know why it's true worship? Because true worship is never partial. True worship ain't partial. True worship isn't giving God half of something. It's giving God all of something. And true worship isn't some of your, you keep some parts of your life to yourself. I'm just going to put a little box around this relationship. God, you can have my money. You can have my career. You can have my kids. But you can't have him. He is a protected class. I don't care how detrimental he is to my soul and my spiritual relationship. God, you can't get to him. He's uh, in, a, in a box. You can't get to him. God, you can have this relationship. But God, you can't have my money. I need that. I don't have a lot of it, but because I have a poverty mindset, I hold on to the little bit that I do have. God, I got to stay stingy because I was raised to be stingy. I was raised to be stingy. God, I can't put but a dollar in the offering because that's how. So you can't have my money. I'll go out and buy all the drinks I want to buy. I'll spend $200 on alcohol on the weekend. But when I come here, God, I'm giving you a five. I got five on it. That's all I got. God, you can have my relationship and have my money, but you can't have my time. This is for my sleep, for my career. You can't have this because I got it. It's protected. So I'll give you that other stuff. Here, have these tithes. Here, here, here have that little relationship. I ain't got nobody anyway. You can have that. But, <laughs> but you can't have this. You can't have this career. God, this is just my attitude. Take it or leave it. I am the go-off king. I am the go-off queen. I got a quick temper, and I don't care what you say about it. Don't touch this. This is who I am. This is how I raise, and you can get it too. You, this is how y'all be the God. You can get this too, God. Because when it's up, it's up. But, but when he says true worship... When he says true worship and he, and he says, bring, bring all of you, bring all of you, this puts our comfort way down on the list of importance to God. Newsflash, God is not really concerned about your comfort. Can you imagine the predicament we would be in if the people who actually availed their lives in service to God and living out this Christian life with their whole selves. Can you imagine the predicament the world or the church would be in if they only gave part of themselves? 
Can you imagine what that would be like? If all of the pastors and and elders and deacons and worship leaders and servants all over the body of Christ in the world, if they just said, ah, I can't do it. I can't I can't serve that way. I got too much stuff going on. I'm busy. I got this. I got this. I got that. And I got this. I just I, I, I can't do it. I'll give God a partial sacrifice, but I'm not giving my whole self. Can can you imagine where the church would be if we're not for those who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel? Where would we be if they did partial sacrifices? Where would we be if the prophets in the Old Testament, if the prophets in the Old Testament rejected the call of God? God called the prophets in the Old Testament, called them to people that he knew would not listen to them, told them that in advance, and told them, go do it anyway. Matter of fact, the same people that you preach to are going to want to kill you. Can you imagine if they did not do this? They said, God, you can have all of me. I may struggle with it, I may not agree with it, but God, here, here, here I am. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul says, no, it's more comfortable for me being this, this religious zealot that wants to persecute Christians. This is more comfortable for me. This is what I know how to do. This is what I've been doing my whole life. This is what I've been raised and trained to do. I can't go and preach the message to the Gentiles. Where will we be? Where would we be? Where would the church be and where would the world be? If some didn't say, not my will, but your will be done. But this is what true worship looks like. Because it is the only response that makes sense. A giving of our whole lives is the right right and appropriate response to the truth of God's mercy that has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And that's not just for people in ministry. That is for Christians who live day-to-day lives, people who follow Jesus day-to-day. We are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And what we give to God comes about. Because the same God that showed us mercy, he gives us grace to do it. When God says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, it's not like, okay, you do it on your own. I'm, 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 I'm detaching myself. No, just like he withholds what we do deserve, he gives us what we don't deserve, which is his grace. And his grace is not just some, oops, I made a mistake, get out of jail free card. No, his grace is his empowering strength that he gives us to be who he called us to be. So God helps us to live for him. But if it sounds too much or too out of reach, if it sounds, this type of life just sounds so contrary to what you're used to hearing. It doesn't sound like it would fit into, into, into culture today. That's just, people just not giving up stuff. Pastor. So I don't really know how I feel about that. That, that, it tells that. that I should look out for myself first, that I should bet on myself. I was watching a draft the other night. This young man, so they asked him about being drafted and something he was like one of the top picks and he was like yeah I just learned to bet on myself and 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 I was like okay all right you learn to bet on yourself but bro, bro you seven foot you seven foot eight you didn't have to do much betting your, your mama's four foot two your dad is five foot nine you are seven eleven guess what that ain't you betting on yourself that's God's grace towards you nobody got together and said we're gonna make Shaq Have you seen Shaq's mom? She ain't six feet. Oh, I want to bet on myself. I got got to have, I got to do it for me. I got to look out for myself. I got to protect my peace. Shut up. (laughs) 
here's what God says. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody wants to know, what is God's will for my life? I don't know what God wants me to do. Should I move to Atlanta? Sorry, me and Mel, my bad. Should we move to Atlanta? I hear real estate's cheap in Atlanta. The problem is you going to. But he says, don't be conformed, be transformed by the new, renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is the pleasing and perfect will of God. When he says, don't be conformed to this age, he's talking about not the physical world, but, but he's talking about the, the world system, its values. And he's calling us not to conform or capitulate to the values of this world. He's saying, don't be, don't be guided by the spirit of this age. Don't be shaped by it. Don't be molded by it. Some of us perpetuate and parrot cultural messages more than we do the word of God. Do you notice that this week you probably was parroting what they said in culture, but you never thought, let me go look at what the Word of God says about this huge issue in our culture today. Notice God wasn't the first source that you ran to, but if you ran to Twitter first, you got it wrong. No wonder we sound like the Word. No wonder we say what they say. No wonder we keep leveling up and bossing up and everything else up. You never quote in Scripture you always quoting what somebody, some celebrity said. All this age does is perpetuate a cycle of selfishness and subjective truth. No, 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 everyone's right, no one's wrong. It's your truth and your truth and your truth. Try that at a stoplight. Let the light be red one day and let green be your truth. Did I lose you? Because that's what happens when you get too compete, when truth becomes subjective. That's what happens. Crashes happen. It's dangerous. But that mindset is passing away. It's destined for failure. And what he's calling us to do is make a break with that age and align ourselves with the will of God. Galatians says, God, Jesus has actually rescued us from this present evil age. Jesus has came in and rescued us. Jesus didn't just save your body. Jesus saved your mind. Jesus saved your mind. We have been set free. We don't have to agree with everything the world does. You, you have the freedom to live for God without fear or shame. Some of you are afraid to tell people you're a Christian. Some of you are afraid to put a scripture up on your social media. Some of you are absolutely scared, but you will say everything else except what thus saith the Lord. You are free not to have to feel the pressure to go into hiding because you're a Christian. Stand on it. Some, some of you, oh, I'm struggling with break, breaking away. But God has already set you free. Here's a sign that you may either be deeply, you deeply need to have your mind renewed, or it may be a sign that you're not a believer at all. And, and I say this in all love and grace and truth to you. If you ever come to church and sit and you hear, a biblical sermon, not this nonsense y'all be retweeting, not, not this nonsense y'all be reposting. But if you, you find a, a biblical sermon and you find yourself disagreeing with Scripture or thinking that maybe God would change his mind if he knew how much society and humanity has progressed since he published this old book, you, you, you have more than likely been conformed to the age. Your, your worldview has been shaped by the world. It's as if God died, and, and if God come back, came back and he saw how the world was, God would surely know that this old book is insufficient for the present. 
This book is not relevant for us, but let me tell you something about God. God does not need your time. God stands on the outside of time. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God doesn't need to get with the times because God created times. God, God created time. God doesn't need to catch up with you. You need to catch up with him. And so here, here, here's, here's why he says don't conform to the age because the way the world thinks leads to the corruption of a mind and a corrupt life. And what Paul says at the beginning of Romans in Romans 1.28, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. When you think like the world, it leads to destruction. But he says be transformed. The word there, transform, is literally metamorpho, where we get our English word metamorphosis from. And he says be transformed. You see, our culture has learned how to transform the way we look. But it hadn't figured out the remedy to transform the way we live. You look great. Your lashes is lit. (laughs) But God wants to transform your heart. And so we get our minds renewed so that we can know and do the will of God. And here's what happens. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your mind. It begins the process of renewal and sanctification in your life. The Holy Spirit is working, transforming you, working you. This is not something you do. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you. And then the Holy Spirit even helps you to cooperate with him in your growth and your mind being renewed and your transformation. But what God gives us is these means of grace. God gives us sermons to listen to. God gives us church. God gives us the Bible to read, which we should be reading. God allows us to communicate to him through prayer. And when we do this, It begins to renew our mind. But the problem is we don't have a lot of contact with the things I just named because we have more contact with this. So your mind can't be renewed because you're fighting against yourself. We're literally fighting against ourselves. But do you know that you can literally change the way your mind works and perceives things? You can literally allow the Holy Spirit to work in your mind along with reading, memorizing, praying the word of God. We can change more sinful habits and become more godly in our habits. We literally can do that. There's scientific study, this thing called neuroplasticity, where we can actually change the way our brains are wired. Here's what it says about neuroplasticity you didn't think you were going to get a science or psychology lesson today, but, but engage me. Neuroplasticity says the brain is the brain's ability to change and reorganize itself by forming new neural connections throughout your life. Neuroplasticity allows the nerve cells in the brain to compensate for injury and disease and adjust their activities in response to new situations or changes in their environment. It essentially allows the brain to grow in more healthy ways. Here's what one uh, professor and research psychologist at UCLA School of medicine said when we use our spiritual growth to change our brain through self-directed neuroplasticity meaning changing our brain through reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit and the means of grace as guided by the Holy Spirit we are making our own brains more conducive to us being transparent before God which through grace will make us more receptive to God's plan for us the more contact we have with God 
the more we want to do God's will. The more we understand God's will. But all social media does to our minds, for the most part, is wires our brain away from the mind renewal that God desires for his people. I want to say this. The fruit of a spirit-filled, renewed mind is that we can discover, desire, and do the will of God. The fruit of a spirit-filled, renewed mind is that we can discover, desire, and do the will of God. And I want to say this to you. God is not trying to hide his will for your life from you. But if you want to discover what God's will is for you, number one, probably would be beneficial for us to know what God said in his word. That's the most important. Secondly, it's important for us, by the, with the Spirit's help, to actually obey what God says. When we come, become familiar with what God says, we become intentional about it. When we pray and then act and do what God says for us to do, the more the will of God becomes clear. The will of God is not guesswork for the Christian. See, you think a will of God in, should I move to Atlanta? Should I buy this car I can't afford? That type of stuff. The will of God is not about your location. It's not about any of that. It's about you being obedient to the word of God. Because God can take care of you wherever you are. The last thing I want to read, verses 3 through 8, and I'm done. I'll be quick. So when we get to verses 3 through 8, what Paul does is he tells us in plain language what it looks like when we've been afforded the mercy of God. He gives us a picture of it and tells us how we should actually live. And here's what he says in verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I tell every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching in teaching, if exhorting in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy, do it with cheerfully. So I got three points for you about offering our lives as living sacrifices based on verses 3 through 8 because God has given us grace. When you, came, when you became a Christian, here's what God did for you. God didn't only saved you, but God gave you spiritual gifts. Every person in this room has a spiritual gift. Now, if you're not using it, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. God gives us a gift, and we are to pursue those gifts with diligence. We are to cultivate those gifts with diligence. We are to work on those gifts, become better at those gifts. We are to use those gifts. God gives us a gift. But if you are a believer, you say, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor. I follow the Lord Jesus. But you find yourself sitting, doing nothing while the professional Christians do all the work. Then you're wasting what God gave you. And your response to the mercy of God is an incorrect response. Because when God saves you and you really understand the mercy and the grace of God, you can't help but to do something. You do something. There's a response to it. 
But here it talks about the gifts of God. And the gifts of God, and this is not an exhaustive list. It doesn't include all the spiritual gifts, but it names spiritual gifts. But here's what I, I want you to know. So I got three points for you based on verses 3 through 8. Number one, here's what it looks like to live uh, a life, um, uh, a, a living sacrifice unto God. Number one, we live humbly. You know why you live humbly? Because you realize that you didn't deserve mercy, you deserve death, and God gave you grace. Number one, we live humbly. How do I live humble? How do I live a humble life? I'm a little prideful, I'm a little arrogant. I feel myself sometimes, Pastor. How do I live humbly? You assess yourself, you assess yourself in light of God's holiness and your sinfulness. Every time you become aware of all of your stuff, your sin, your issues, that should be a reality check that you should have no reason for pride. Number one, we live humbly. Number two, we live in and embrace community. Number one, we live humbly. Number two, we live in and embrace community. That's what he's saying in verses 4 through 5. We are one body of Christ. You are called to live in community with other believers. We are one body. We are united together in the name of Jesus. We are all saved by the same grace and by the same salvation. Number two, we live and embrace community. Number three, and my last point, we use our spiritual gifts faithfully. Here's what you need to know. God gives you the gift, but guess who the gift actually belongs to? The gift belongs to God. God gives us the gifts, but they are God's gifts. And here's what they are for. God gives us gifts to bring him glory and to help other people. If you're gifted in any area, it, it may not be preaching, it may not be singing, it may not be doing something like that. But, but if, you, if you're gifted at accounting, if you're gifted at engineering, if you're gifted at construction, if you're gifted in business, if, you're, if you got the gift of gab, God says you use that for my glory and for the benefit of other people. Number one, we live humbly. Number two, we live in and embrace community. And number three, we use our gifts faithfully. So I want to say this. We've been afforded the mercy of God. There is a response to it. And the response is that we offer our lives to God. But unfortunately for us in our generation, the response to the goodness of God that we've been afforded is to give God a partial response partial response God didn't save you partially God saved all of you mind body and soul and so if you sit here today and you say that there's just some limits on what 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 I would do for God there, there's just some limits then maybe you need to reassess your standing with God and really ask God to help you grasp his mercy grasp his grace it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. We've all been afforded this mercy. And we all have an obligation to respond to God. We have an opportunity for God to use our lives. If you want meaning in your life, you want significance, then say, God, I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. What we keep doing is we keep looking for meaning and fulfillment in our jobs, right? And that, that feels good for about three months until you realize the pains that you felt at your previous got job, you now feel at your current job. 
And maybe that's God saying, hey, hey, it's bigger than this job. This is about me. And regardless of how much money you make or how fulfilled you feel at the job, your fulfillment doesn't come in that. Your fulfillment comes in me. I've called you to use these gifts that I've given you for the benefit, number one, to bring me glory, number one, to benefit other people. Some of us are, do a great job at that. We, we, we bring our gifts into the church and we use it to serve other people. But then there's a gang of us who just kind of sit back and say, God, I'll use my gifts elsewhere for my own benefit, for my own glory, for my own come up. But if God intervened into your life and shed his mercy and his grace on you through his son dying for you, then there's a proper response to that and the response is to offer your body your whole life as a living sacrifice we hope you enjoyed today's message if it was a blessing to you please consider visiting our website outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support if you are ever in the orlando area we would love to serve and worship with you have a wonderful week